Welcome to episode 121 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is excited to offer members a new way to explore their interests with the new Plus Catalog. This holiday season will certainly be more special than last. It's finally time to gather together and exchange thoughtful gifts with the people you care about. In the midst of all the holiday excitement, think about giving yourself the gift of an Audible membership. Now is the absolute best time to do it with a special offer of 60% off your first three months. With Audible, you can listen to more of whatever you're into because Audible has it all. An unbeatable selection of audiobooks, tons of binge-worthy podcasts, and exclusive originals, all available to download or stream. Here's what you get. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month, like the latest bestseller or hottest new release, yours to keep forever. You can listen to Melanie's book, What When Wine, or either of my books, Delay Don't Deny or Fast Feast Repeat. And coming January 4th, you can listen to Cleanish. Here's the best part. You also get full access to Audible's streaming library, the Plus Catalog. Discover your next podcast obsession, check that audiobook off your bucket list, or get lost in a world of original content from celebrity creators, best-selling authors, and leading experts. The kind of stuff you can't hear anywhere else. Stream all you want, as much as you want. No matter where you're going or what you're doing this holiday season, you'll always have just the right thing to listen to at your fingertips. Now that I'm doing a lot of driving to the beach and back, Audible is the perfect companion for each trip. There's so much to choose from that I will never be done finding great options. Right now, for a limited time, save 60% on your first three months of Audible. That's only $5.95 a month. Give yourself the gift of listening. For more, go to audible.com slash ifpodcast. That's audible.com slash ifpodcast. Or you can text ifpodcast to 500-500 for 60% off your first three months. That's definitely a gift you'll love to give yourself. And now back to the show. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. 
All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed, but with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 121 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And happy late birthday to you, Jen. Happy late, late birthday. Thank you. I just hit the 5-0, so this is the first time people are hearing my actual 50-year-old voice. How does it feel? It feels exactly the same. <laughs> How was your birthday <laughs> celebration? It was so much fun. We were at the beach with our friends, Kim and Ryan. They have been on intermittent fasting stories, so people who listen know who Kim and Ryan Smith are. So they came down from Maine and stayed with us at the beach for a few nights, and so we spent my birthday on the beach having some beach cocktails and some beach pimento cheese. And <laughs> it was a great day. I cooked dinner in the condo and it's just a, a perfect birthday. That is perfect. It really was. It was, yeah. But, you know, we were at the beach and so we could have gone to eat anywhere. And I was like, I just want to cook. <laughs> no, I hear you. Yeah, I didn't want to fool with the whole, you know, trying to find somewhere to go and figuring it all out. And so it was great. Now I'm also trying to pack up my whole house and I'm working on a super secret project that I can't talk about yet. But so I'm working on that project. And then in the meantime, I'm trying to pack my house up and we have a lot of stuff. That is a lot on your plate. It is so much. We're closing on the new house in a month. That is very exciting. It is very exciting. I'm super excited. We have so much to do though. I mean, we have so much stuff and I've already gotten rid of a lot of stuff. Well, remember I was just moving and I was like, when you're moving... I'll understand everything that you're going through. So I understand everything. I'm moving like one mile, one mile away. <laughs> it doesn't matter though. You still got to pack up everything. I still have to pack it up. That's right. Yep. So what's up with you? Well, I did have a thought that I noted to talk about. I was listening to a podcast. Are you familiar with Paul Saladino? I am not. He's like the new carnivore guy. Okay. That would be why. <laughs> Very well known in the carnivore world. He's actually going to be on my new podcast, which is exciting. Very cool. But he had an episode with Dr. Dom. How do you say his last name? Diag Diagostino. Oh, I don't know. You know who I'm talking about though, right? Yes. I, I do know that name, but I don't know how to say it. There's so many things we read, but don't know how to say because we just only see them. Well, I hear his name. I hear his name all the time, but I've never said it until this moment. Dom Diagostino. I'm going to have to get him on my podcast and have him correct me. But he actually addressed something that I remember we had a question about a while ago. And I got so excited because he addressed it. Remember when we had that question where somebody asked if you've done fasting and you're fat adapted and then you kind of stop? Is it easier for you to become fat adapted in the future? Do you remember that? I do. 
he was talking about the whole concept and he said that he thinks there is like, instead of like a muscle memory, like a metabolic memory. And that basically, yes, once you've been like fat adapted or done some sort of protocol, be it fasting or keto or whatever, that makes you really good at burning fat and using that for fuel or ketones, that going off of it and then coming back to it, that there is some sort of like metabolic memory there and that it is easier for people. I feel like he's mentioned studies, but I don't remember. I don't think he like went through anyone specifically, but I'll put a link in the show notes. If you follow in the Himalaya app, the playlist intermittent fasting podcast stuff we like, I'll put a link there to that episode. So it was very interesting. The actual episode, which I totally recommend was all about ketones basically and the ketogenic diet. Awesome. That sounds really interesting. Then I also have one more exciting announcement, but by the time this airs, it won't be relevant. Ooh, well, what is it? I'm probably launching my podcast next Friday. Oh, yay! So Friday, August 2nd, I would say put it in your calendars, but it has already passed. <laughs> so hopefully it went well. <laughs> oh, good. Super excited to finally get that going. Well, congratulations. Thank you. One thing I'm really excited about is, well, people will have seen the artwork by the time this airs, the cover art for the podcast, it's kind of like a caricature of me. And that is actually the original artwork for my book, What When Wine. That was going to be the cover. My publisher had it drawn and done up and then Barnes and Noble actually made them change it. <laughs> yeah, I remember you talking about that. Yeah, I had bought the image from them because I was like, someday this will come in handy. And um, it did. (laughs) So I'm using it for the podcast. And I actually reached out to the artist. I'm so excited because, you know, each episode, I guess I didn't even talk about what it is. I'm just assuming people know that podcast is basically me interviewing people really well known in the health and wellness and biohacking sphere. So top doctors, top authors, top researchers. It's going to be a lot of people that like Jen and I have had on our podcast, but then a whole lot of other amazing people as well. I'm really, really excited. So each episode will be an interview. And the artist who did that artwork, she is going to draw uh, like an image for each episode of the guest. So I'm really excited. It's going to look so nice. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad. Now, what name did you decide on? I know it'll it'll be already out by this, so it won't be a secret anymore. Oh, right. It's the Melanie Avalon podcast. All right. Well, people can find that. That should be easy. And the first episode was with Dr. Alan Christensen. Hopefully that went well. <laughs> <laughs> Since it already has happened. I know. In the real world, it's already happened. And you've already interviewed him. And by this time, people will have heard it. So that's good. This is true. I told you, Jen, I'm excited for people to listen to the intro because I did something a little bit controversial for the beginning intro. Oh. So for that episode, you'll see. Hi, friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you have 
eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes, all the time, with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to melanieavalonscloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. Okie dokie. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes, let's get started. The first thing we have is some listener feedback from Amy. And the subject is feedback for episode number 125 or sooner. And Amy, we are sooner because this is episode 121. Amy says, Jen and Melanie, you read my question about chocolate milk and potato chips on episode 25. I have been on an almost 100 episode journey to figure out how to make sure I am my best IF self Here is the update on my journey. First, I finally figured out that the cravings might be related to a magnesium deficiency, which I was taking as a supplement, but have now switched to another brand, Slow Mag, and that has helped tremendously. I have also found my whole food solutions by trading my chocolate milk for regular milk with a fine piece of chocolate, for example, Ghirardelli, yes, I am a chocolate snob, and mixed nuts that now include macadamias because of their potassium and magnesium nutrients. I would also like to add that I have embraced three new things over the past year or so. And by the way, I just did some math and it's been almost, you know, two years because each episode is a week. So it's been a long time since episode 25. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, she's on it. Then I was like, wait, no, each one of those is a week. So anyway, there we go. So almost two years later. So I would like to add that I have embraced three new things over the past year or so. First, non-scale victories. I focus as much as I can on NSVs, such as better sleep, better skin. But it's hard for someone like me who is serving in the military and is required to weigh in twice a year as part of my job, considered a measurement of fitness, to fling my scale in the trash. So she's saying that she can't just throw her scale away because she has to weigh in. So you may not have known that some folks in this community have careers that assign a weight limit based on height, a paradigm that is really unhealthy over time. And yes, I would love to throw my scale away and will do that the moment I retire from military service. Second, intermittent fasting stories. And for listeners who don't know, that is that is my other podcast. So you can look for it on any podcast app. The power of hearing those interviews has really hit home in a dramatic way. I have always felt at home with the IF podcast, but starting with Lynn from episode zero, who said, just do it, clean fast for 90 days, and most recently, Rachel, episode 31, who seems to have her arms around the entire world as she encourages this lifestyle, I am so grateful for the community of shared experiences. It has truly made my journey that much more meaningful because I know I am not alone. Third, clean fasting. I must tell you that I was a part-time clean faster a day here and there until Lynn said you have to jump into the routine for 90 days before you criticize it. I jumped in, not without some trepidation, just like the first time I jumped from an airplane and airborne parachute training and have overcome the mental block that has kept me from the complete IF slash one meal a day experience. Finally, to wrap up this note with my thanks, Jen. Keep being the simplistic, just say no during the fast mentor you have become. Melanie, 
Keep telling us your latest scientific discoveries and know they are not crazy, but crazy wonderful to hear about. Life is an adventure, and I appreciate the two of you sharing your adventures with all of us. In the end, the way we support each other makes all the difference. Amy, that almost made me tear up. I know. (laughs) I loved it so much. I love this email from Amy. We got it. And I was like, she just hit so many wonderful things. (laughs) She sure did. I like how she brought up as well the, we haven't talked before about people who actually, you know, like the military who have to weigh in, you know, as part of their job. Has that come up in the groups at all? You know, I'm not sure that I've ever seen it. That doesn't mean it hasn't come up because we're having over a million posts and comments per month. (laughs) So I'll bet there's stuff I haven't seen. I mean, I know there is, but I have never seen that. It's a really interesting concept, though, to think about. I'm trying to think of their other jobs that I guess anything with like, you know, weightlifting or, you know, like body composition type jobs. Right. So... Yeah, but you're right. If you have to maintain a certain weight or below based on job requirements, then you have no choice but to pay close attention to that weight. So that makes sense, and I understand it. Yeah, and I'm also happy that she found her Whole Foods substitution form for her cravings. Yeah, yeah. I feel like with most things, you really can, you know, find something that will work for you. I keep thinking about that more and more, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, but... Like clearly we can learn to love a part of it has to do with our gut microbiome and just habit and things like that. But, you know, I think we can learn to love a lot of different diets and a lot of different foods and they can work for us where some foods might not work for us. So why not put your energy into finding those foods that you can love and serve you? you know, rather than foods that you love, but don't serve you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I'm just saying like, like for me, and I've been talking about this, but like I crave cashews, for example, (laughs) but they just don't work for my body. My body doesn't like them. So I might as well focus on finding other foods that I really, really love that do work for my body rather than just eat the cashews. Right. I mean, that's true. You know, when you find something that doesn't work for your body, you just accept it, right? Yeah. I I think people will try to like justify or find reasons to keep in things that clearly aren't working for them. When I'm trying to say, instead of saying, oh, I can't have that and focus on that, just focus on what you could have that would literally make you feel just as great in the long run without the negative side effects is my point. Yep. And for me, though, I don't even think about it as like, oh, I can't. I think about it as I choose not to. That's such a tiny little shift. And it makes all the difference. Yeah. Like I could have it, but then I don't want to feel the way I'm going to feel if I do. So I'm going to choose not to. And that's the power. I'm not longingly looking at it because I know how it'll make me feel. Exactly. Oh, and then (laughs) Amy, she said... um, to keep telling about the latest scientific discoveries. I did order something really crazy. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, Lord. (laughs) Have you heard of a Rife machine? Well, I actually have heard of it, but I can't remember. Was it like anti-cancer? That's something that it's been used for in the past. Well, I guess now as well. Is it something with electricity? It's been a long time. I've heard of it. I just can't remember. It uses radio frequencies from different ranges. The theory is that different frequencies basically can wipe out different microorganisms that may or may not be serving you, most likely not serving you. That's why you would be using the machine. Right. The reason people were using it for cancer back in the day, and still, I don't know why I'm saying back in the day, but I think when they first developed it, they were using it for cancer, was the guy who developed it, I don't know if it was him, but somebody theorized that cancer was actually due to pathogenic organisms that were affecting like cells. And so using this machine would target those organisms and then, you know, cure the cancer. But now I think it's more used for like, like Lyme disease, parasites, candida, things like that. 
Well, that's fascinating. Keep us posted. I mean, you know, we know, I've said this before, we know that at our basic level, we are energy. And so all matter is energy. You know, if you zoom on down, if you zoom into a solid object, eventually you can't see it anymore. (laughs) It's just space, (laughs) stuff swirling around. I don't get it. I know it's true because that's what they say, but sounds made up, (laughs) but it's true, you know. I feel like this one, though, is actually not even as out there because, I mean, it's literally just this idea that these very specific frequencies will wipe out these patterns. Right. We know that frequencies will break glass. Yeah. So to me, it's not a big stretch. If a frequency will break glass, that's scientifically proven. We have seen it happen on TV, right? And so if a frequency of sound can break glass, then there's a lot of things that frequencies can do. Yeah. Or you think about like zappers or shocking things or so we shall see. Apparently they say the way, you know, it's working. (laughs) I don't know. I haven't received it yet. And apparently it's really complicated because you have to like put in the right frequency for whatever you're targeting. But I guess if the thing you're targeting is not actually in you, you won't feel anything because it's not affecting anything. If it is, I guess they say you feel it (laughs) like not in a good way, but um, because it is killing something. But we shall see. I'll let you know, guys. I'll let you know. All right. Shall we move on to the next feedback? Yes, let's do that. All right. So the next feedback comes from Naomi, and she says, Hello. Having recovered from an eating disorder and quickly spiraling into a relapse, I've decided to fall back into intermittent fasting. This time, though, I came across your podcast. I love your podcast because it's so different. Personally, for me, this fasting had me gain weight, but that's what my body needed. More than weight, it gave me energy and a clear mind. I no longer think about food all day long. I feel good and healthy in myself. I have so much more energy than ever before. Intermittent fasting can seem scary when in recovery from an eating disorder, but the path you girls take actually helped free me from mine. It helped free me from the constant battles and thoughts. Sometimes it scares me that people will listen and run off with this, that people will use it to fall deeper into their disorder. I pray this doesn't happen as it's changed my life for good. All right. So I love this email from Naomi. What are your thoughts, Jen? It's great to hear that this has worked really well for Naomi and that she has gotten freed from the constant battles and thoughts. I, I want to reiterate the rule of thumb is if you've ever been diagnosed with an eating disorder or if you know that you battle with an eating disorder, you have to really proceed with caution when it comes to intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting doesn't cause eating disorders, of course. If you already have an eating disorder, though, the whole restriction mindset of constant restriction you know, could spiral you down and, into the disorder more. But for people who have the struggle of constant thoughts about food, some people find that intermittent fasting finally frees them from that struggle so they can break free from the eating disorder. My recommendation would be for anyone who is diagnosed with an eating disorder or anyone who's gotten treatment for an eating disorder, find a counselor that you trust and make sure that you're working with them if you decide to experiment with intermittent fasting. This is just, you know, for safety's sake, because as Naomi says, you know, she doesn't want to see people using it to fall deeper in their disorder. And I agree with that because you need somebody who's familiar with your situation and can help you see if your thoughts are spiraling in a dangerous direction. So, you know, really, really proceed with caution, anyone with an eating disorder. But I have heard from people who, especially binge eating disorder, people who have that situation have found that intermittent fasting is very helpful. This actually reminds me of a study that I read that was really fascinating. I read this quite a while ago. I don't know if you've read it, Jen, but it actually was proposing the ketogenic diet as an alternative therapeutic approach for anorexia because it was saying that the neurotransmitters and the brain state that were achieved from starvation from anorexia, the feel-good chemicals from it, and I guess the way the brain processed energy was actually very similar to the brain state of the ketogenic diet. And I'm not saying, so ketogenic diet is not anorexia or unhealthy, but I totally forgot about that I read that. I found that fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't heard that or seen it, but you know, really, anything that sends you down into the spiral, you know, changing up what you're eating or when you're eating could, therefore, in theory, be beneficial. So that makes sense. 
Yep. All right. Shall we move on? Yes. All right. So this is from Sophie. The subject is the human brain and curing conditions. She says, hi, both. Love your work. Melanie, this is probably one for you. Apologies in advance for the long email, but stick with me on this. I was listening to my second favorite podcast today, Feel Better, Live More, with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. You guys are number one. That featured a fascinating interview with Michael Pollan, who I love, which you know. I was going to say, Jen loves him. (laughs) I read this email and I knew it was like directed at me, but I was like, well, Jen's on board too because (laughs) she loves Michael Pollan. Michael Pollan is fabulous. I really, really do love him. And especially one thing I love about him, this is a little side note here. I mean, he's a science writer. He's a journalist who writes about science. He's not a physician. He's not a trained nutritionist. And, you know, he's still able to dig in because he's a researcher and he's intelligent and he asks the questions. And so, you know, Melanie and I are are similar. We are, in a way, science writers who, you know, like to dig in and uncover things and and then share with the layperson. So that's one reason I guess I feel an affinity for Michael Pollan. And his work can be both transformative and teach you a lot, even though he's not, you know, a credentialed doctor. Yeah, actually, to jump in there, I feel the same way. I feel like almost, you know, people who are researchers – all of their energy in a way is going into researching compared to, I mean, there's all obviously so many benefits to actual like practice, but I think there's a lot to be learned from researching and analyzing the studies and analyzing the data. Other random thing I was thinking about was, do people ask you, Jen, like if you ever consider getting some sort of like, you know, doctor certification thing? Well, I mean, I do have a doctorate in gifted education, so I have advanced, you know, an advanced degree, but I I mean, like medically. No, I've got zero interest in going back to school for that. You know, I went through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and so I have health coach certification through that. But no, I have, I mean, I'm 50 years old. I have no desire to start a different career in the medical profession. And, you know, I think that there are plenty of trained medical professionals who are, are really, you know, learning from, from the, the work that we're even putting out. So I've had doctors, like I had an endocrinologist one time join my group and say, when I read your book, everything clicked in a way that it hadn't before. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing to read. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then on top of that, well, because people, because I guess I'm still at the point in my life where in theory I could, you know, go to medical school. Yeah, you could. In case you're wondering, guys, I mean, I don't like to say never, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> But one of the interesting things, and I was thinking about this the other way, because Ben Greenfoot was talking about this on his podcast, he was saying something about how he would not get a medical degree because once you do, all of a sudden you can't actually say things anymore. Oh, I get it. Yes. When you don't have a degree, you can say whatever you want. (laughs) You can recommend whatever you want. I mean, I don't want to say that we're doing things to harm people, but like we don't have to worry. It's like freedom of speech. Like we can say things. Whereas if you have a degree, all of a sudden there's this huge liability aspect. You're a doctor, so everything you're doing is construed as medical advice. It's like your freedom, in a way, is almost gone, at least in our capacity. I understand. That is interesting. I was like, okay, well, that puts that nails the coffin in the grave, or nails the, what is it? Nails the, what's the phrase? I don't know, but I, I know what you mean. But yeah, I have no desire. No desire. I want to be your teacher friend who knows a lot of stuff about intermittent fasting. <laughs> That's all I want to be. And then I could teach you about it. <laughs> yeah. I've always said I want to be like the brand ambassador. Yeah. Oh, somebody, I was interviewed on a radio show a couple weeks ago and somebody called me the mother of intermittent fasting. And I'm like, oh, oh, the matriarch. Yeah. Yeah. Cause now that I'm 50, <laughs> I'm like the age of people's mothers. Right. So Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40 
40% lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body, it is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address, and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list, and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order, and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein. So I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com, sign up with your name and email, and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. Anyway, so back to Sophie's question. She says, as you both may know, Michael Pollan wrote In Defense of Food. You both have likely read this, among many others, and is responsible for compiling the now infamous phrase when it comes to dietary approach, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. In this particular podcast, and that was Feel Better, Live More, episode 69, if you want to listen, Pollen was discussing psychedelic therapy and how psychedelics have been used very successfully to treat some mental illnesses such as depression and anxiety, as well as various forms of mental distress. A very progressive discussion, and I encourage you to take a listen. Why am I writing to you about this, you may ask? Melanie, in episode 116, you pondered if the human brain is capable of a particular behavior slash feeling that is experienced in a dream or even reversing a physical condition. A case study Pollen spoke to during the podcast made me think about your comments. The case study was this. A woman in the U.S. who had previously had ovarian cancer was living with daily crippling anxiety that the cancer would reappear. Having never touched psychedelics before, she was treated with them under medical supervision in an attempt to treat her anxiety. She had an experience with, how do you say that, psilocybin? Psilocybin? Yeah. Do you know what that is? I guess it's a psychedelic. (laughs) Okay, we're going to assume psilocybin is a psychedelic. She had an experience with psilocybin, if I'm saying it wrong, forgive me, that allowed her to enter her body imaginatively, and she saw a black mass under her rib cage. She knew that was not her cancer, as it was not on her ovaries, and identified this black mass as her fear. In identifying her fear, she was able to face this black mass, and she screamed at it. She said, get the F word out of my body, and it vanished. And when she came to, her fear had been absolutely extinguished, and the anxiety has never returned. 
What this made me consider was the capabilities of the human brain when in an altered state or a sleeping state, as you considered. This case study and many others demonstrated that when a patient faced their fears in an altered state, it was carried through to their physical life and cured a diagnosed condition. So fascinating. Worth a listen and might be a useful material to start your deep dive into the topic. Probably not one for the podcast. Yes, it was. As you see, that's what happens when you write to Melanie. (laughs) Yep. Although pollen could be a good one to have on given his wealth of knowledge when it comes to human dietary behaviors. I wouldn't be surprised if he fasts, but thought you would appreciate this regardless. Thanks and keep up the great work. Now, I would love to hear that if he did fast, that would be fabulous. That would be fabulous. He does love food. I loved his cooked series on Netflix, as I've shared. So, yep, that was a really fascinating email from Sophie. I haven't read Michael Pollan's most recent book, but his most recent book is about psychedelics. Have you read it, Jen? I have not. I've listened to a lot of interviews with him about it, but I haven't actually read it. You wouldn't really know it from the title that it's about psychedelics, like at least right off the bat, because the title is How to Change Your Mind. Because I remember when I first heard that, I was like, oh, it's about like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or like changing your brain circuits. But then the subtitle is What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence. I personally have no experience with psychedelics. (laughs) So maybe that's why I haven't read that one. No, me neither. (laughs) But I am really fascinated with, you know, just the nature of the brain and different states of consciousness and how they would affect things and especially how they would affect, you know, physical things in our body. So I find it very, very fascinating. It also made me think she was mentioning sleep. I had a sleep expert on my podcast, which if you do listen to my episode of my other podcast this week, the Melanie Avalon podcast, it's actually going to be with a sleep expert. We talked for like three hours, Jen. It's a long episode. (laughs) Is it really that long? Well, I haven't edited it yet or anything, but the raw recording, yes, is three hours. (laughs) So it's an amazing episode. We got into so much about sleep. I can't even describe how much I learned. But one of the things we talked about that was really interesting was I, of course, asked him, you know, what is sleep? And he was saying that, you know, there's not really a, a definition for it. The go to definition is basically sleep is the lack of being awake because when you're asleep, you're in this state. And then when you're awake, it's like you bring on these other processes that allow you to interpret the physical world. So then of course we got into this whole conversation of, oh, technically then is your true state of being when you're asleep, right? (laughs) You know, compared to when you're awake, because that's actually adding on sensory input to something. It was a very interesting conversation. So if you have any sleep questions, listen to that episode because it was fascinating. Yeah, that does sound fascinating. I know sleep is something that a lot of people are interested in because I know that people who do intermittent fasting with, you know, if you're in ketosis, it might affect your sleep. But, you know, I have plenty of friends who are not intermittent fasters who have sleep difficulties as we get older. So this is, you know, a common issue for everybody, not just fasters. And I did ask him what he thought about eating before bed and sleeping. He said that from his perspective, it really had to do with blood sugar and whatever created a stable blood sugar throughout the night was what would be most conducive to sleep. And that it didn't even matter if it was like chronically low blood sugar, not that either of these is good, but in theory, if you're in like a chronically low blood sugar state or chronically high blood sugar state, you might actually be fine to sleep. It's the blood sugar fluctuations that are a problem because when those happen, that's when your your liver basically freaks out and your body's like, ah, we must fix this. And then you like wake up, like you're really alert. Oh, that's interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. So he was saying people could, you know, maybe people are on a ketogenic diet and have chronically low blood sugar, but they can sleep fine. Or people might have insulin problems and actually have chronically high blood sugar, but if it's stable, they might sleep fine. It's more those blood sugar fluctuations. So I guess it would go back as far as eating before bed, whatever type of meal would create sustained blood sugar levels throughout the night. Oh, that's a good tip. He had so much more. Guys, listen to that podcast. There's there's so much, <laughs> so much. All right. Shall we go on to the next feedback? 
Yes. So this was actually pretty similar to what we just talked about. It's pretty short. It comes from Becca. She's from Australia. She says, hi, Melanie. In response to your epiphany about being symptom-free in the sleep state, she links to studies and placebos about taking the subconscious state to the conscious state, and it's a Time Magazine article. And the title of the article is, people are now taking placebo pills to deal with their health problems, and it's working. So that they know they're taking placebos. That's what the study is, right? Like they know they're taking placebos and it's still working. Because I think I've read that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the girl that they talk about in the beginning, the doctors actually literally told her that there was (laughs) no active ingredient, no active ingredients in the pill. And the word placebo was written on the bottle. And they found that it was still effective. That's the crazy part because, you know, all the theories about why the placebo effect works or that you believe it works and that's, but here's somebody who knows it's not real and it's still working. I've seen that article. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but I think yeah, the placebo effect is fascinating. Actually, speaking of Audible again, the next book I want to listen to after the Diabetes Code is Joe Dispenza's You Are the Placebo. Oh yeah. I've got that book. I really want to listen to it because I just finished his Becoming Supernatural that I talked about on the podcast. So I want to listen to that one because I think that's more of his foundational work. The the placebo one? Yeah. He references it a lot actually in Becoming Supernatural. All right. Shall we move on to our next question? Yes. This is from Diana and the subject is just a question before I lose hope. Diana says, I've been following the podcast from the beginning after reading Delay, Don't Deny. Love the science behind the fasting and love the input you two give to us every week. My issue is I've been clean fasting 18.6 for three months and have not lost on the scale. I only weigh once a week. However, I have noticed my pants are looser, but that alone doesn't seem to satisfy me. So do I continue on and trust the process as you say, or am I eating too much in my window? I open my window with small quantities, but I do seem to eat continuously until 6 p.m. Is this my problem? Three months is a while to test the waters. P.S. I always close my window at 6 p.m. Any help would be appreciated. A loyal listener. Thank you, Diana, so much for your email. I feel like three months is, I don't know, from my opinion, that is when you would start evaluating things. What, What do you think, Jen? I think so, too. And, you know, if you're in your first one month, no, or even your first six weeks, but you should be adjusted to fasting by now after three months. So, yes, definitely time to tweak. Yeah. So I think you definitely are in tweaking time. So six hours straight, it sounds like you're basically munching, you know, six hours straight. I would recommend tightening up that window, either tightening it up or addressing what you're eating in that window. I would do one of those and see how it affects you. What are your thoughts, Jen? Like I would go either after like the food, like the what aspect or the when and tighten up the window and then see if that helps. Yeah. Well, here's something to keep in mind. If you're doing something for three months and you're not losing any weight, then what you have found is a maintenance plan for you. And so in order to lose weight, you're going to have to to change something to actually begin to lose the weight. But here's something really important. Now, I would like to encourage you, Diana, to go back and reread the weighing chapter of Delay, Don't Deny, because you are only weighing once a week, which I specifically discuss in Delay, Don't Deny, is the one way that I don't want you to do it. And I go through a lot of detail as to why that's not the way to do it. Every time I tried to do intermittent fasting before it stuck, I was, you know, weighing every single day and getting discouraged by the fluctuations. And the same thing happens when people only weigh once a week. You can get discouraged by the fluctuations. When I finally was successful with intermittent fasting, I was weighing every day. And then once a week, I calculated my weekly average. And so the reason that was transformational for me is because finally, the weekly average showed me my overall trend. And so even though like Friday was the day I calculated my weekly average. So every Friday, when I calculated my weekly average of the last seven weights, I could see that my weight was down a little bit from the last Friday weekly average. But my weight on that Friday itself might not be down. Maybe I was up over the previous Friday. So if I was just weighing on Friday only, I would have thought, I gained weight this week. This is this is crap. It's not working. And then I might be tempted to, you know, blow it. 
But if you see that your weekly average has gone down, it doesn't matter what the daily fluctuations are. You know that it's working. So I would encourage you to try that. Even if you're only losing a half a pound weekly average per week, you are losing weight, especially if your pants are looser. You know, because my weight can fluctuate and swing a lot. I mean, I don't weigh now, but when I did weigh, it would swing, you know, a lot up and down. So I needed that weekly average to show me that I was going in the right direction. And also it helped me stay on track. You know, if I weighed one day, even though I did the weekly averaging, some days I would weigh and my weight would be really up. And I'd be like, ooh, weight's really up. And that would kind of mentally encourage me to maybe pay attention to what I was eating a little bit more that day. I think the daily weighing really gave me important feedback. So I don't want you just to trust the process to the point that you're not tweaking because, you know, you can trust that if you're not losing weight, I mean, and again, we don't know because, you know, maybe you're losing a quarter of a pound a week and and your weekly average would show that. But if you're not losing any weight, you know, you don't want to just blindly trust the process. You need to tweak the process. And the process is tweaking. You know, the process is not just stick to a plan and just keep doing it and hope for the best. The process is see what you're doing, see if it works, if not tweak, keep the process is finding the intermittent fasting plan that works for you. So I think that's important. So maybe 18.6 is not your weight loss window. It was not my weight loss window either. So, you know, it might be a really comfortable window, but, you know, maybe you have to, like Melanie said, tighten it up for a while. Um, maybe 19.5, maybe an alternate day fasting approach is better for you, the up and down day approach, because I've talked to all sorts of people on intermittent fasting stories. You know, there's one interview, the person had done one meal a day for an entire year and the window was getting shorter and shorter and she was eating less and less and was not losing weight. And then she switched to an alternate daily fasting pattern and started to lose weight. So, Trusting the process, yes, but the process requires tweaking. And I do want to throw out one little thing just for people in general to try because I've been researching this so much and I really think this is something and I kind of want to write a book about it. But something, if you just want to try an experiment, try cutting out polyunsaturated fatty acids mostly if you're eating a lot of them and see what happens and try not changing anything else see what happens. Well, give examples of what that would encompass. Like what would that be? So if you're eating like nuts and seeds, most processed foods have a ton of processed seed oils in them. So, I mean, kind of have to cut out a lot of processed foods. You have to look to see if they have, you know, like vegetable oil or canola oil or any other seed oil. Even at restaurants, things are cooked usually in those type of oils as well. So instead you could have things like coconut oil, which is mostly saturated fat, I would even say if you're doing this experiment to like minimize like olive oil, even though that, that is a lot of like monounsaturated fat, it still does it still has like the polyunsaturated fats. Basically, instead you'd be focusing on meats. If you're really hardcore doing the experiment, you would probably also try temporarily not having a lot of like fatty fish like salmon or something like that. Instead, go with like leaner types of fish. So meats, fish coconut oil, vegetables, fruits. I mean, you could even have like grains and dairy. So it's not even like paleo per se. Just try cutting out the polyunsaturated fats, the the nuts, the seeds, the almond butter. Now, see, I'm going to throw a wrinkle and say that might be the wrong advice for some people because based on the DNA analysis that's really popular in my Facebook group right now, people have done their DNA analysis through a company like 23andMe and then downloaded the raw data and run it through those websites and the, the platforms that analyze it for you. For me, I've talked about this before, my analysis shows that saturated fat works well for my body, whereas the mono and polyunsaturated do not. But some people get the opposite that saturated fat is not the best for their body and that they should stick to the mono and polyunsaturated fat. So I'm going to give the alternate side to that. And I know that you are are going down the rabbit hole of thinking that mono and poly are bad for everybody. No, not mono. Okay. Well, poly, polyunsaturated. And I wasn't trying to construct as advice either. I was just saying as an experiment, literally as an experiment. It's just something I'm really curious about right now. Well, if she was somebody that had those other results, maybe saturated fat would be the one she could experiment. I'm just saying there's, you know, 
Oh yeah, no, I'm all about, that's what I'm saying. It's an experiment. I'm just saying if you are the type who historically eats, if you are eating a lot of like nut butters and things like that, see what happens. This is just if you want to. It's an experiment that you could try. Yeah. I would really recommend trying the DNA analysis just to see. I have a friend who's one of the moderators in my group. She loves to experiment. Like, you know, you like to experiment with yourself. She likes to experiment as well. And she was following a a protocol just as an experiment that ended up being like a keto protocol. And she felt very inflamed. She felt awful. She actually started gaining weight. Then she got her DNA analysis back. And it is so interesting. The protocol she was following was low protein, high fat, low carb, you know, a traditional keto protocol. Her DNA analysis that she got back was the opposite of that. It said that she would be better on high protein, more carbs, less fat. And so she switched over to what, you know, experimenting with what her DNA analysis said, immediately started losing weight. Like she's been in maintenance, but she's dropped below her lowest weight ever just by following those guidelines, which is fascinating. Yeah, no, it is really, really fascinating. And something else, I guess it sounds similar to what she did. I mean, she was doing it based on the genetic data, but I was talking about this with somebody the other day. I think like the ketogenic diet, you know, works really well for a lot of people for weight loss. That said, I think if you're comparing like a ketogenic diet in a one meal a day type state, compared to, for example, a low-fat, high-protein, high-carb diet in a a one-meal-a-day type state. And I say this hesitantly, but I think for a lot of people, it's way easier to just from like a calorie perspective and how much energy you're taking into your body, much easier to go way overboard with the ketogenic state compared to like the high-protein, high-carb state. And I think that's why a lot of people might, you know, switching things up, see a drastic difference. It was something that like Dr. Alan Christensen and I were talking about in that first episode of my podcast was actually like the idea that fuel is fuel. And regardless of the macronutrients, you know, how many calories are you taking in? And it's not all about calories, but carbs, for example, like the conversion from carbs to body fat is actually very inefficient if you just ate carbs, that's all you ate, it's very unlikely you would gain much fat because you would have to eat so much. It like might not even be, I don't want to say it's not possible, but it would be very, very hard. This is true. And I read an overfeeding study just this past week. It was an overfeeding study where they overfed people with carbs And they also overfed people with fat. And guess which one ramped up the metabolic rate? Overfeeding with carbs. So not only is it difficult for your body to convert them into fat, which is not what we hear. We hear, oh, that turns straight to fat. You know, eat that potato, it turns straight to fat. Carbs very rarely actually turn to fat. But your body stores the fat you had with it. With it, yep. Mm Mm-hmm as fat. That's the part that's missing. So (laughs) it's like this huge gaping hole that is like, I don't want to say like true, but pretty much scientifically understood that everybody kind of ignores. (laughs) Right, right. So I noticed when I was at the beach, this is interesting, but on my birthday, I drank more alcohol than usual because I was having a fun day. So I drank more alcohol than usual, but I didn't eat more food than usual. I really probably had the same amount of food I normally do. My window was longer, but I did have a good bit more alcohol than I normally do. Well, the next day I was so draggy and I wasn't hungover because I didn't have that much, but it was over a long period of time. And so it made me really think about how our bodies process. You know, we have like a way that we use the energy from what we take in and our body is going to use the alcohol first. So my theory is that day I was running on that alcohol that I was taking in all day long. And so then I ate a lot of carbs and my body wasn't then running on those carbs. My body stashed those carbs into my glycogen storage. So I filled up a lot more of my glycogen storage than I normally do because I was running on the energy from the alcohol. And then also any excess fat I ate that day, my body would just stash that right into fat storage because it's very easy for our bodies to do that. 
So I probably stored some glycogen and some fat that day. Yeah. And so here's a confession. I don't think I've ever voiced out loud, but um, back in my really crazy diet experiment days, when I like first got into all of this and like researching how things were metabolized by the body and, and how things became body fat and how things didn't become body fat, I realized that protein and alcohol were like very unlikely to become body fat. So I went through a period where I was eating just basically like, it was like a carnivore diet with wine. <laughs> yeah. Well, like a lean carnivore diet. Well, that sounds like the Ducan diet except without the wine. Yeah. I was doing the research and I was like, well, alcohol doesn't become body fat. Protein supports your metabolism. Very hard to like overeat the protein or like you know, have it become substantial body fat. And I was like, this could be the key. I don't recommend that for people. No, I wouldn't either. It's just really interesting though, how different substrates are processed by the body and how many misconceptions there are. Because, you know, I've seen people state as fact, like, well, if you drink alcohol, it turns straight to sugar. No, it does not turn straight to sugar. (laughs) Alcohol does not come to your body and turn straight to sugar. But people say that all the time and they think it's true. Or like if you eat a potato, it turns straight to fat. No. I had an epiphany that I realized I was wrong about. What was that? I think I messaged you about it. I didn't realize ketones are not actually used as fuel by the liver. Right. Like the liver cannot use ketones as fuel. The liver makes the ketones, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the ketones go away from your liver and become fuel like in the brain. Right. But like fuel for the liver is glycogen. Not the ketones, yeah. Which I did not realize. I don't know that I ever thought about it. Well, I was thinking about it because I used to think, especially if I'd eat like MCT oil or something, I was like, oh, this will be fueling my liver. But really, no, it's just more stuff that your liver has to process, but your liver is actually being fueled from glycogen. Like people freak out in the ketogenic world because they think that protein turning to glycogen is a problem. (laughs) But- like your liver is going to be using glycogen regardless. Like it needs a certain amount of glycogen and there is a certain amount of glycogen needed in your body. And so I think people unnecessarily freak out about that as well, but it's fascinating. Well, and so many things are just repeated over and over again, and they're just a little bit, you know, not quite true. And when you realize it, you're like, oh, that is just not what you keep hearing over and over. I'm going to drink this beer and it turns straight to fat. No. (laughs) Or this vodka is just straight sugar. No, it's alcohol. (laughs) And even, I don't know, like, because like I said, I'm reading right now the diabetes code and I mean, I love Jason Fung, but I'm noticing now because now I'm like really in tune with these different concepts. I've been thinking about them a lot. So I'm like listening for them. (laughs) And, um, I've noticed he he casually throws it around a lot. He doesn't he doesn't say anything incorrect. Everything he says is technically correct. Oversimplified. Yeah, but he, he definitely throws out there. I'm only a portion of the way through the book, but he's definitely you know said in passing quite a few times about excess carbs and you know de novo lipogenesis, which is creating fat from you know the carbs. And I'm like ah, that's like probably not the main method of weight gain there. I mean, I could be wrong, but I know they've done studies and I think like 10% is the max that they found for people turning carbs to fat, like 10% of the carbs. And that's where they're in a state where they're basically really just like taking in carbs, 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 carbs. So they're really upregulating those pathways. So if you're not even having those pathways super upregulated, it's probably not even 10%. It's probably way less. Yeah, it is so interesting how many things that we don't understand correctly. And we just keep saying them and repeating them over and over. Like breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Those things that we all know, <laughs> quote, no. I talked about a study in my book, obviously not recommending this. And I think I've talked about it on the podcast before. These studies must have been old because I don't feel like they could do this today. But in hospital ward studies, they would feed patients like thousands and thousands of calories, but it was all just from alcohol. Yeah, they did not gain any weight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would not recommend that either. No. That sounds miserable. Oh my goodness. I can't even. No, it does sound miserable. 
But yeah, I really thought about how I spent my birthday when the next day I was so tired and I thought about how much I ate and it really wasn't that much more food than usual. And so I was like, well, you know, let's scientifically make some sense about what my body did with what I took in yesterday. And so it was interesting. Usually when I go on vacation, I have really long eating windows and I eat a lot more meals. I might have lunch and dinner and even brunch or whatever, but I didn't do that. And so I was like, why am I so lethargic? And then I figured it out. It was interesting to think about because I literally was falling asleep in the afternoon and that doesn't happen. I can't do any alcohol during the day. It like just messes me up. Well, this was the day after the alcohol. Oh, oh. I hadn't been drinking anything. The, that day I was in the fasted state and I hadn't been eating enough, like I said, like on a vacation when I'm there for a long time. And, you know, I eat two meals a day for several days. That makes sense why my glycogen stores would be filled back up. But I really had not been eating much more food. It was striking how tired I was. Okie dokie. Well, fascinating conversations as per usual. Yep. I enjoyed this one a lot. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. We are a Himalaya partnered show. So if you follow our podcast in the Himalaya app, you will get access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. So that is super awesome. And like I said, we also have that playlist, Intermittent Fasting Podcast Stuff We Like. That's where I put links to the different episodes I like. So I will put a link there to the interview with Dom Diagostino, I think that's it, and Paul Saladino about ketones and ketosis. Fascinating conversation there. And you can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like for all of the stuff that we like from the awesome, amazing Audible books to the crazy things like Rife Machines and such. <laughs> I'll have to add that to that page. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. And you can also follow us on Twitter. We are the ifpod. Anything else from you, Jen, before we go? Nope, I don't think so. I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.